Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode 87 of Three Point Podcast. Three sports guys, three different generations, three hot takes. I'm Ted Fatel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 The Castle. On the phone is Matt Burns of ESPN in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Jared Fatel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 in Grand Rapids. Our partners include Main Street Pizza with locations throughout mid-Michigan, the Corona Connection, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Sheridan Auction Service, Card Service Michiana, and Promec Engineering. Thanks also to our syndication teammates, Sports Radio Detroit and Z92.5 The Castle. If you like what you hear here, help us continue to grow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, and all the other podcast hosting sites. You can also follow us and hit us up with your comments and questions on social media at 3PointPod. And we're going to get it all rolling in just a moment, but I can tell you right now, Jared celebrated Christmas in September, and the Lions are unbeaten after two weeks. We're going to get it officially going right after this. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your large or small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of Three Point Podcast, located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. I was at the Western Georgia State game in the midst of the Michigan State-Arizona State game. And the second I walked out of that stadium of the Western Michigan-Georgia uh, State game at halftime, I checked my phone, and immediately my service came back, and it lit up with about 10 texts from Michigan <laughs> fans, my friends, people just loving it. And guys, Belinda Carlisle says, it, says that her lover makes heaven a place on earth, <laughs> and that's what MSU is to me. When they lose, it makes wherever I am heaven on earth. Sing it with me. Ooh, baby, do you know what it's worth? <laughs> Ooh, heaven is a place on earth whenever Michigan State loses. It's euphoria right now. I'm going to be walking on clouds for probably the next week until Michigan State plays Northwestern. Well, be careful on karma, young man, because you still got your Wolverines on the road at Wisconsin. But we'll just we'll let you have your glory here. Michigan State uh, losing to Arizona State. Herm Edwards, I mean, was that – I mean – I was watching it live, and it was one of the biggest debacles I ever saw. The clock management was terrible. And then on top of that, I thought it was a bad look. Even though Dean Blandino says, oh, yeah, there should have been a penalty for leaping over the line of scrimmage. I watched that quite a few times. I can see why they didn't throw a flag there. And D'Antonio, after putting 12 guys on the field, he complains about that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I think that's kind of a bad look. You know, I don't know if you guys were listening to the 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 play-by-play the, you know, on Fox. Yes. But they were saying when they were about ready to trot the um, field goal unit out, they were saying this is, Matt, or this is Mark D'Antonio's style of play, this is Michigan State's style of play. And I was just thinking, like, that, that says a whole lot. As they're sitting there with seven points, 
against Arizona State with 11 seconds left, and you could have thrown a ball to the sidelines, you know, try and get six, seven yards quick. I know there, there's some bad things that could happen if you get sacked or something like that, but you could have even taken a shot to the end zone. But just hearing them say that, that they're playing it safe, 11 seconds left, let's try and get the field goal instead of trying to go for the win. I mean, the first thing I thought of was the famous Herm Edwards meltdown when he's saying, hello, you play to win the game. And I was just like, Michigan State, like throwing into the end zone. You know, throwing up the, what do you have to lose? You know, if it's incomplete, you still get to kick the field goal. And then they have 12 guys out there. And it was just a complete meltdown, complete meltdown. And I try not to be kind of on Jared's level right now. Like, when it comes down to it, like, I, I all I care about is Michigan winning. But it is kind of funny sometimes to see Michigan State meltdown. Like well, well, you know, what's what's sad if you're a Michigan State fan, obviously, you know, Arizona State takes the lead and actually Lewerke and uh, Michigan State, off- their offense, did a really good job to get them in the spot they were in. But I, I couldn't agree with you more. You got to run one more play, okay? You got that's where I always go karma comes into it. Yeah, bad things can happen, but you also can win the game and not rely on going to overtime, not relying on a kicker. And you know, I know that uh, the the collar is definitely hot for Mark right now, and and with good reason. You know, I, I'm sure the Spartan fans out there, and Jared, you must have heard from a few of them, or has it been deathly silent? That's the thing about Michigan State fans. When when Michigan was in a dogfight last weekend, Army, and we looked like the worst team in the country, Michigan fans are there commenting on. But as soon as Michigan State loses to Arizona State, it's radio silence. You don't hear anything. But the thing with D'Antonio and that decision at the end of the game. Did you guys see what he had to say in the press conference? He said, well, you know, we were going to give a toss, and then, we, then I said, eh, maybe not. Let's go I'll kick the field goal. Just there was, You could tell they had no idea what they wanted to do. Mm. Brian Lewerke literally yells at the sideline. You can read his lips, what are we doing? And that's Brian Lewerke. When Brian Lewerke has no idea what you're doing on offense and he can't believe how dumb it is, that's when you know it's a problem. Brady Hoke, Brady Hoke <laughs> executed this to perfection for Michigan in the Under the Lights game. Against Notre Dame, same exact scenario. Like eight seconds left. There's eight seconds left that time. He throws it to the end zone. Michigan ends up winning in regulation. So it's it's not that hard, and you can say all oh, things can go wrong. But Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. You don't play to tie, especially when your kicker is just having like the worst meltdown I've seen a kicker have in a long time. And I get he's a good kicker. But, I mean, you just got to read the situation better than that. At yeah. least get him a little closer. Yeah, and I, 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 you, you have to point at coaching, too. I mean, they, they had a kind of scramble to throw the kicking team out there, and he did, you know, make the field goal, but helped by an extra man on the field, which that's that's unforgivable. Yeah, I mean, that comes down to, I mean, it, it's on the players, too, obviously. The players have to know what's going on. But that's situational coaching. I mean, the coach, special teams coach, head coach, whoever, should be ha- having the guys a little more prepared. And something that we haven't talked about was that previous drive when Arizona State took the lead. There was that play, I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was a third down or a fourth down play. I think it was fourth down when Arizona State, I think they burned their last timeout. But then Michigan State burned two timeouts in a row. Right. Like they were trying to ice a kicker or something like that. One of those timeouts would have come in handy on that final drive. And, you know, like that, I, I don't know if they were trying to really set up a defense, but why do you need to burn two timeouts right there, back-to-back, trying to set up a defense, especially when Arizona State ended up scoring? You know, one of those timeouts would have come in handy. So, you know, it's not trying to bag on Michigan State too much. I know Jared's having fun with it, but it, it was a complete meltdown because, yeah, like you said, Jared, last week after they completely torched Western Michigan, there was a lot of talk like, okay, this is the offense we want to see. You know, 
the offense is back, Lewerke's rolling, you know, all that kind of stuff, and now they, they score seven points against Arizona State. Yeah, you know, and in fairness, though, too, watching this game, Arizona State, I think Herm Edwards has something going there, you know. I mean, their their defense looked good, and they got that true freshman quarterback. He was a pretty solid-looking quarterback. I mean, Urban Meyer said in the postgame that that's like the most impressive thing he remembers ever seeing from a freshman quarterback going into Michigan State Stadium, you know, putting together a drive like that against a defense who everyone basically called, you know, the 85 Bears. He said he's never seen something that impressive. And that's pretty big words coming from Urban Meyer who's had like J.T. Barrett and Braxton Miller and Dwayne Haskins, a lot of really good quarterbacks in his day. But the thing, and Matt, you mentioned that I'm having some fun. I am. The thing, the first thing that came to my mind is that D'Antonio's record is, you know, his record for being the most winning coach in Michigan State history. He's not going to break that record at home next week. He probably is going to beat it next week at Northwestern if they do win. And even if they lose that game, he's going to have to come home and win and break that record when basically everyone's kind of punted on the team if they end up losing to Northwestern. When I got home, I turned on D'Antonio's press conference, and I grabbed some popcorn. And Ted would say that's a must-watch TV watching that post-game presser. Yeah, he was pretty depressed. It makes me wonder, you know, no matter what happens this season, I'm wondering if he, he's going to call it a career. You you have to wonder, and I was talk, texting some buddies about it, like Michigan fans, but, you know, we talk about Michigan State too a lot. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we talked about it on the pod, but they we talked about them shuffling around their coaches this offseason. But a lot of those assistants got signed to one-year deals. Right. And I don't know what you guys think. I mean, that's kind of strange, you know. If you, if you really have confidence in some of these assistants, you would think they'd get, you know, whatever, two, three, four-year deals. You have to wonder if there is a little bit of writing on the wall that this might be the end or very close to the end for D'Antonio if they're only signing their assistants to one-year deals. Well, yeah, you would think so. And, and let's face it, he had his health issues. It's not getting any easier over there. It's a pressure cooker in the Big Ten. There is a lot of pressure as the head coach. They had the whole uh, – you know, scandal with him being dragged into the Nasser thing and how he handles his players, you know, and who knows how deep that goes. I mean, that's that's just a pain in the ass, and he's made some money. He's had a great career over there. He's going to be the all-time winning as football coach. You know, why not live the rest of your life with your grandkids and, you know, and have some fun? Because he's a football guy through and through, you know. Why don't you retire and stop, you know, calling football games and doing podcasts and stuff like that? Because it's what you live for. It's what you do. You're a football guy too. Oh, what's your prediction, though, Jared? Do you think he's going to stick around? I, I would. I I could see the world where he retires, but I'm never going to say that I expect him to retire because just when I say that, that's when he comes back for you know a five year run and just <laughs> makes Michigan little brother again. But, so I'm not never going to say that. I get your thinking. I I get it. So they had 404 total yards of offense, and I wasn't. I haven't had the chance. No, nowhere on YouTube has the full game. I only could really see the highlights. But it seemed like their offense was doing pretty well. They just couldn't put the ball in the end zone, and they couldn't make field goals. Yeah, a lot of so, a lot of their drives stalled, and Lewerke didn't play that bad. I don't know what you think, Ted. No, he played good. The game, he he played all right. He did. So I mean, I mean, they just kind of stalled, and I don't know if it's a Pac-12 thing because I did see the stat that their last three games against Pac-12 teams, they, the defense has allowed 16 points seven points, and then ten last night, and they've lost all three of those games. So I don't know if they just can't get over that Pac-12 curse or something, but, you know, you got to we've said it before, you got to score more points if you want to expect to win games. can't just rely on your defense all the time. No doubt. Well, how about D'Antonio just having no class at the end of that game with the Herm Edwards handshake at midfield? I was, was going to ask saying, you guys about that if you saw it. Some, some people are saying that he supposedly said the Herm Edwards 
uh, yeah, thanks, sure, because Herm Edwards said, great game, coach, or something, you guys played well, which is kind of like BS. Like, I don't know why he would say that. But he said, yeah, thanks, sure, now get out of here, is what <laughs> D'Antonio said to Herm Edwards. I don't know about you guys, but something about that visual looked like he just was not respecting Herm Edwards whatsoever. Yeah, but that goes both ways, and I'm going to take I'm gonna take D'Antonio's side on this one. Listen, when you lose a bitterly contested game the way that Michigan State lost, you think you want to have a little sympathy from the other coach? You know, if you're Herm Edwards, you don't have to hold on to D'Antonio and whisper words of wisdom, wisdom to him. You say, Coach, great game, shake his hand, and get the hell out of there. D'Antonio didn't need to hear anything else. <laughs> But there's also the side that I feel like you have to know who Herm Edwards is. And you get you got to know that he is just, I mean, basically preaching, if you want to use that word, to his team all the time, to his players. He's basically like a grandpa to those guys, you know, trying to mold them into men. So he probably did see that as an opportunity to tell Mark D'Antonio, I get what you're saying, Ted, I definitely do. Sometimes it's better just shake the hand, good game, move on, because, you know, the emotions are running high right there. But, I don't know, D'Antonio always kind of seems like a smug guy like that, like even in his post-game pressers. Just never, you rarely see a smile out of him. And seeing him kind of treat Herm like that, especially when Herm is as respected as he is in the whole sport and everything, the media. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit of. A- I'll ha- I'll have to review it again. I mean, I I watched it pretty close a couple different times. I you know Herm was holding on for a while. You know, let him go. I kind of agree. I actually, Ted, you actually kind of changed my mind. I agree. Mark D'Antonio's kind of- been around. He's a successful coach. He doesn't need a whole lecture. You know, after right. you lose that tough a game. And I, I, you changed my mind. Oh, well, yeah. That's a first. In mind when it comes to Michigan State. I'm on D'Antonio's side now. <laughs> Shut up, Herm Edwards. <laughs> Take my hand and get off the field. <laughs> hey, here we go. See, this is what's happening. We're, we're now flipping Jared to a Michigan State fan. <laughs> I, we wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Herm Edwards just kind of pegs me. He's kind of preachy sometimes. I, I'm guessing that's probably what he's telling D'Antonio. Something just that D'Antonio already knows. Yeah. That's, yeah, like, stick with it. Your program's going to be all right. You know, yeah. you, don't, you don't need to hear that at that time. All right, well, you know, we're going to be talking with Reggie Walker and getting into uh, big-time college football and maybe look a little bit at the Wolverines, but uh, let's take a little break and get into a little Lions talk. Advanced Elevator Company features top expert field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators. An area business leader and a longtime supporter of the Corona Public Schools and a proud sponsor of Three Point Podcast. All right, guys, we're recording this on Sunday right after the Lions game. How about that? Two games in, undefeated. How excited are we? Are we back on the uh, Kool-Aid? Well, no, you guys already punted on the Lions, right? So we shouldn't. do we even need to talk about them? Nope, I'm still punting, but... <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah, you, you watch that. That was, that was as ugly of a football game as there can be. I mean, I was thinking the whole time, I tweeted out a few times, that the Chargers did everything they could to give that game to the Lions. Missing kicks, turning the ball over, fumbling on the goal line. I mean, the Chargers basically pulled a Lions. <laughs> yes. Tried to give yep. the game away. It was crazy. Yeah, it, that was you took the words right out of my mouth. This was a classic Lions performance, but it was against the Lions. Usually we watch <laughs> the Lions do that sort of stupid stuff. But can I, here's, a, here's just kind of a different question to go off of that. Here's a couple of stats. So the Chargers, their rush rank has been 28 since 2011. Their rush rank has been 28, their pass rank has been 6. The Lions, their rush rank has been 32, their pass rank has been 5. And similar records, both are basically 500 since 2011. Why is the narrative on Matt Stafford that he's not any good, but the narrative for Philip Rivers is that he's underrated? What do you guys think about that? Is that fair? Short short answer to me is playoff wins. Because uh, I've had that discussion with people before, that like the Rivers-Stafford 
career trajectory is very similar. Rivers has a couple playoff wins, and I really think that's the main thing. That probably is the only difference when you look at the whole scope of things. Stafford played pretty solid, and how good was it to see big play Slay come up with a big pick at the end, and then the Lions grinding out a first down on a, on a rollout pass to close the game out. And not calling a timeout. Exactly. <laughs> is there hope? I don't know, but I'm still punted on it until they, until they keep winning. The way that I look at this game, it's not that the Lions played well. It's that the Chargers made basically every mistake in the book. There was the one drive in, uh, I believe it was the first half, where the Chargers scored like three touchdowns, and they kept getting called back by penalty. Yeah. Right. It was like big play after big play after big play. That was something, like, it was. It almost would have gone on forever if it wasn't for, you know, finally the Lions making a stop after 300 penalties. But it was basically the Chargers lost that game. The Lions showed me nothing that made me optimistic about the murderer's row, which I said I was never going to say again, and forward on their schedule. Yeah, their schedule's tough, and yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they played good enough to win, I guess, but it's just the offense, because the Chargers aren't necessarily like, I mean, some people were picking them to win the AFC, but I think that was just like trying to go out on a limb, but they're not, you know, they're not the Rams or, you know, a team like that. So, like, seeing the Lions offense just, like, one drive, they would go boom, boom, boom down the field, and then the next drive, three and out. It, like, there just seems to be no identity. I don't know. I'm not I'm, I'm not with you guys punting yet. They're undefeated still, right? Yep. Well, we'll see what they can do. You know, they've, they've typically never played well on the road, and going to Philadelphia in that atmosphere against the Eagles, uh, the next one on the schedule. Ooh, that, we'll, see what, we'll see what kind of team they are if they get a win there. My biggest takeaway so far is that Daryl Bevel, new offensive coordinator, he has not impressed me, mm-hmm. like, at all. I mean, I miss Jim Bob Cooter, if we're being honest. I, I miss him around those Lions play-calling days. But technical question for Matt. So during the game, Hawkinson was called for a holding penalty, and for some reason, after that, after that play happened, the announcers were trying to describe how it was a block on Hawkinson, but they kept showing this Kenny Galladay catch highlight. So is, whose mistake is that? Is that some guy back producing that just mistakenly puts on the wrong highlight or does he have to wait for the announcer to start talking about something before he puts on that highlight because i really wanted to see this hold but they kept replaying a play from two plays ago where kenny galladay made a nice catch what is the what's going on there well it could be a couple things like the tape guy the guy running the replays the guy actually like running the the tape machine the replays is he in the truck normally Is he in the truck? Yeah, in the truck. Yeah, yeah. The NFL games definitely have a huge truck right outside Ford Field or whatever, you know, with all the satellites up and everything. So it could just straight up be the guy running tape was rolling the wrong play. I highly doubt it because the guys doing NFL games, I mean, they're the best in the business or whatever. So it probably was the producer. The producer was calling for the wrong play, not communicating. You know, usually they're listening to the guys calling play-by-play when they say, you know, you hear them talking about that holding call, or if they would have been saying, man, that catch by Kenny Galladay was amazing, then the producer tells the tape guys, grab that play. So there, there was just a communication breakdown, I would think, unless the tape guy was just rolling the wrong play, in which case he's probably fired if that's what happened. I have a question like for what, you. Go ahead, Jared. Now that the play-by-play announcer, because it seems like that happens like once or twice every game where they're trying to say something about, like, they'll go, oh, like, and this is exactly what happened on this last play. Oh, and, oh, we got, here's the touchdown from Dak Prescott. Like, it's never the right play. So, like, does that ever happen where the play-by-play guy can somehow talk to the producer and just, like, bitch him out at the commercial break? That's something you've never heard of happening? Yeah, it happens fairly often, actually, because, I mean, when you think about it, right, if you're watching at home, who looks stupid on TV? 
play-by-play guy. Play-by-play, right. The play-by-play person talking about a Dak Prescott touchdown when it's actually a Zeke Elliott run. You know, they look stupid on TV. So, yeah, during the commercial break, it's what the F were you guys rolling back in tape? What was going on back there? So, right, usually even the good tape people will also be listening to the play-by-play. When they hear Troy Aikman, Tony Romo, whoever, talking about Dak Prescott on this third and four had this awesome throw, the tape guys are going back and saying, okay, I'm going to go get that third and four play because I'm sure the producer is going to be calling for it. So, yeah, you, everyone's got to be locked in for sure. I love it. A little inside information from our ESPN guy, our young guy looking to get in the business. A little background story there. That's, that's interesting stuff. Uh, I got one final question on the Lions. Is, is this something that you guys could ever see possibly happen? You know, Urban Myers. In a Super Bowl? <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> do, you, do you think there's any possibility Urban Meyer will his next move be in the NFL? And on top of that, is there any hope whatsoever that the Lions would be interested in something like that? I'll, I'll give my quick answer before Jared. If you want to jump in, I, I think quick. I don't think one bit he is ever going to go to the NFL. And the only reason I say that is because he looks at guys like Steve Spurrier, Nick Saban, Chip Kelly, these guys that success in the in college jumped to the NFL because they were, you know, wanted that challenge, weren't good in the NFL, and to an extent it maybe hurt their legacy. Obviously Nick Saban Nick Saban's the best coach in college football, but you know, at first those those stints in the NFL didn't look good. So I don't think Urban Meyer wants anything to do with that. No, I don't think so either. He 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 technically is just a big time college guy. And even if he did come to the NFL, I feel like he's above the Lions. As sad as that is to say, I feel like he would have his pick of a job, and he's not going to the Detroit Lions. All right, well, to, he'd go to the Cowboys after they fired Jason Garrett. I've heard that. Same same thing with like Lincoln Riley. I feel like they're on the same sort of level. Lincoln Riley's above the Lions, although I would love him as a Lions coach. Well, I've heard both names for possible possibility with the Cowboys. So, yeah, yeah, we're just stuck with our Lions, I guess, boys. <laughs> hey, I you mean, were the so one what, I wanted what did... Jim Caldwell fired. <laughs> well, he did he get another job? Has the Lions head coach that's been fired ever got another head coaching job? Ooh, another head coaching job? I mean, I know a bunch of guys have gotten so. jobs as, like, coordinators. Head co- no, head coaching job. I don't think yeah. so. I do not think so. Did Mariucci ever head coach again after he was with the Lions? Nope. Yeah, like, Schwartz has gone on to be a good uh, coordinator again. Well, Morningweg did, too. Yep. I guess what's your point? It's the, it's the reason they don't get hired again is because the Lions organization just trashes their reputation there's no one who will ever hire me oh that's okay that's fair but i was just throwing it out there because you brought up caldwell well i don't see him coaching any other nfl team right now well no he is i I just looked it up quick as a head coach he's the assistant head coach and quarterbacks coach for the dolphins so (laughs) that being said (laughs) dolphins he he might be the next head coach of the dolphins with how they're trending i mean they might be firing their head coach maybe he's going to step right in that's very possible i guess caldwell would be one that would at least be qualified he has the resume all right, well, we've talked enough Lions, guys. Let's take another quick break and get Reggie Walker on the phone with us. TheCoronaConnection.com knows it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on all that is Corona at CoronaConnection.com. And speaking of Corona, all parents want to do what's best for their child, right? Well, look no further than the Corona Public Schools, where nearly 40% of the entire student population are school of choice students. Rated the top high school in Shiawassee County by U.S. News and World Report, young or old, it's great to be gold. All right, next up on the pod, we've already got our thoughts out on Michigan State and some other things going on in college football, but let's bring Reggie Walker on. We've had him on before to talk NCAA tournament and football. He played at Penn State. You can follow him on Twitter at rwalk13. 
Uh, Reggie, what's going on, man? What's up? What's up? We're at the, I guess, in Siri, kind of the quarter pole of college football. If you really want to add it up, pseudo three weeks in, we had the week zero thing going on. So here we are. Um, and it's time for teams to start getting into conference play, which things are going to get real interesting. Yeah, I mean, right right there, it's going to get interesting. And you, you know, you kind of know where the three of us stand. We're, we kind of lean definitely more Michigan. So right there, Big Ten play starting next week, uh, for Michigan anyway, coming off a bye. They've struggled in their first two games. Everyone knows that. What do you see right now at Michigan going into Madison to play Wisconsin? I, I think the thing about this team is that when I watch them right now, it feels like they're trying to they're trying to live up to an expectation, and they just need to play football. Here's the thing: should they? I will say this: they probably should have lost the game to Army based on a lot of the things that happened in that game, but they didn't. They found a way to win. That's always a difficult game to play when you deal with those type of offenses and some of the, that you just don't see it a lot. So from that standpoint, and then on the offensive end, you don't have the ball a lot. So your rhythm is thrown off, your cadence is it just there's a lot of pieces to that playing a team like Army. I throw that out the window. They survive. That's the bottom line. And so when you look at this team, I think they need to just be themselves and stop trying to play to expectations that are placed on their coach because of his name and not because of the players that are there and their ability. Well, you know, we're we're early in the season. But you look at in the Big Ten and you see Ohio State just looks like they're continuing to dominate. Is there any any way in the foreseeable future that you see them going down? Well, the, the schedule says no. Um, but from a scheme standpoint, it is possible. Somebody's just got to get to the point to where they say, you know what, we're going to make Justin Fields stand in here, figure out defenses that we're whatever we're doing, and make big-time throws consistently in a football game. Right now, he's able to do whatever he wants. He's getting on the edge in the running game, and he's making some easy throws, which are turning into longer plays, big plays because the receivers are making plays, and J.K. Dobbins is a force in the running game. And the reality is if somebody can slow Dobbins down with four guys and then start to throw some exotic things and heat him up in Justin Fields, they got a chance. I think the other part of it is you just got to have better players. And if you look at who Ohio State has played so far, none of those guys did we expect, at, particularly on the defensive fronts um, of Ohio State's three wins, nobody in those three games did we expect to be able to win a one-on-one matchup with an Ohio State offensive lineman. That's going to change as you get into the Penn States with Gross Matos. As you get into Michigan State, they've got players. As you get to Michigan, when you get deeper in Wisconsin, when you get deeper into this Big Ten schedule, there are going to be defensive linemen that can win one-on-one matchups against Ohio State's offensive line and create pressure for Justin Fields to deal with in the passing game. Okay, so with that being said, is Ohio State, though, still the heavy favorite in your mind to win the conference? I think they look like the favorite, um, but here's my, here's my other thing. We haven't seen a situation where Ryan Day's got to coach his way out of a tough situation. Ryan Day has not had to coach them through adversity. Ryan Day, at some point, is going to have, and I'm not saying he's a bad football coach, but at some point he's going to have to prove how good of a football coach he is by making a decision or creating a scheme or drawing something up in a big moment, in a big game, to show us that they are legitimately head and shoulders above everybody else. Because right now, I haven't seen anything based on the teams that they've played that tells me unequivocally they're head and shoulders above everybody else in the Big Ten. As someone who went to Penn State 
Uh, how nervous were you watching that Pitt game, knowing that James Franklin in the past has said that beating Pittsburgh is just like beating Akron? How nervous were you that, about the potential of losing that game and having to have that video just all over Twitter for basically the next two days? Uh, it would have been funny to me because that would have told me that, um, and, and I'll get to the James Franklin angle of this part in a second, but that would have told me that people right, are uneducated about the opponents that, that are in front of Penn State. Because the reality is, and you guys know this very well, Michigan State has been different since Narduzzi went to Pitt. There's a correlation to that. Narduzzi is very good at scheming up on the defensive end of the field what to do and how to slow offenses down. I was not surprised that that game was a dogfight because Narduzzi is such a good defensive coach. Did I think Kenny Pickett would play that well, particularly on third downs? Absolutely not. But you know what? That kid's on scholarship, too, and he's going to make a play from time to time. And so what we saw was a kid making a couple of plays and a really good defensive coach in Pat Narduzzi finding a way to create issues for Penn State up front and getting a lot of hits on the quarterback and shutting down that running game. Well, we talked about Ohio State. and Yeah, I mean, right now, you know, looking at the, the results and everything, seeing some Big Ten teams stumble this past, or, you know, yesterday. Ohio State definitely, you know, right now looks like the favorite in the Big Ten. Bigger pitcher right now, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, maybe even Notre Dame right now, all looking like they might be able to be right back in the college football playoff or, or at least that discussion uh, in a few months. Do you see anyone pulling an upset over Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, or those teams, or is it just basically going to be the same four? Uh, in a few months in the college football playoff? Well, I'll put it this way. Uh, it, it is going to be the same four, probably the way things look right now, but part of that four is Georgia. I think they're going to dismantle Notre Dame this weekend, to be honest with you. Um, and we're going to realize a lot of people are kind of – I'm not going to say they're sleeping on Georgia, but they're kind of – when people talk SEC, they talk Bama. When they talk – and then there's like right the Clemson conversation at the top. Then it's, well, who in the SEC? Well, it's Bama. And then it's, well, who in the Big 12? Oh, it's Oklahoma. And and then who in the big – oh, it's got to be Ohio State, right, right now. The one team that's had Alabama in a bad situation the last couple of years, aside from Clemson, is Georgia. Georgia's the football team that people watch, got to watch, because now it's going to look – the game in theory is going to be a little bit easier against Florida when they play because there's probably going to be no Felipe Franks. So now Florida's without their guy at the quarterback position to play against this Georgia defense with all the speed they have to deal with – this Georgia offense and what they have at the quarterback position and DeAndre Swift out of the backfield and those receivers, all of a sudden the conversation is not centered around Georgia, but I think that changes this coming Saturday night by the end of that game when they get done with Notre Dame. I love Ian Book, but I don't think they're as explosive as they need to be in the running game without Williams, who they had last year. He didn't play the beginning of the year last year because he was suspended. There were some things that went on. As soon as he showed up, that offense became explosive. They don't have that this year in the running game. Ian Book is a good quarterback, but I think Georgia has enough speed. They have enough guys up front, particularly on defense. They're going to heat him up and create a lot of havoc for this Notre Dame offense. Let me bring it around full circle to Michigan, Reggie. You're uh, you're not here in the state of Michigan. You know We're deep into it. You're, you have more of a national perspective on their program and the Big Ten. Uh, you know Our youngster, Jared, he has pretty much given up on the Wolverines. How do you see it? Do you think they have any chance at all to regroup with the bye week, getting by Wisconsin and maybe making a run to that last game of the season in the regular season and maybe giving Ohio State trouble or actually beating them at the big house? 
I actually, I absolutely do think they have a chance to make a run. Now, the problem with their schedule is that the good thing is they they get Ohio State, as you mentioned, in the big house. They got to go to Penn State, and 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 this is not me being a Penn State guy. Let, let's do the math here, and 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 I've said this for a long time. Whether it's James Franklin, Jim Harbaugh, when it was Urban Meyer or uh, Mark D'Antonio, if you're going to sit a head coach down and tell him. Every year, you've got to beat all three of those other guys. I don't think that's fair to ask any coach to do. And so the, the panic, right, that, or the, the, the frustration of whether it's a Penn State right now with, with uh, Franklin losing to, to Michigan or Ohio State, or whether it's the frustration of the Michigan fans losing to Ohio State or Penn State, I get that they're rivals. I get all that. But at the end of the day, we have to look at what we're asking these coaches to do. You're asking some people are asking Jim Harbaugh to go undefeated when his division includes James Franklin, Mark D'Antonio, and, well, now Ryan Day before it was Urban Meyer. <laughs> that is not an easy task. Do I think Michigan's good enough? Yes, they are good enough. But at the same time, these are all coaches that make north of $4 million a year. These are all coaches that are really good at what they do, and these are all coaches that recruit really well and have really good players. So at the end of the day, do I think Michigan can make a run? Absolutely. Do I think they're talented enough? Absolutely. Do I think Harbaugh is smart enough to, to make the right decisions? Yes. But at the same time, you're suggesting, right, anybody that says that he should not lose is suggesting that those other guys are not good coaches and they can't figure out a way to potentially beat him. At the end of the day, Michigan, can they make a run? Yes. Will they make a run? Remains to be seen. I think there's some things they need to get cleaned up. There's some places they need to improve in their football team, but we're only a couple of weeks into the season. We're not at week 10. We're at week four. Does it piss you off as a Penn State fan that, or a Penn State guy just through and through that as a Michigan fan, I don't even worry about Penn State. I look at our rivals. I go Michigan State, Ohio State, and I look at the Wisconsin game. I'm I not even worried about you guys this year. What's your thoughts on that? If, you, if, you, if you're going solely off the pit film, that's fair. If you're going solely off of the Buffalo first half, that's fair. If you look at the team as a whole and the amount of talent, I don't know that that's a fair assessment. Um, and so I think it, it just matters of what lens that it's being looked at. But, hey, listen, I, there's also te- – I don't feel concerned about Michigan State either. Now, that's mm-hmm. happened years in the past, and we lost to them. And so yep. the reality is I would argue that most Michigan fans are historically in year-to-year more concerned about Penn State than Wisconsin – but that doesn't mean that they think or they're being disrespectful to Penn State. You, I mean, you can, in theory, worry about every team on your schedule. But at the same time, there are some games and there are some teams that you can look at and go, oh, we'll beat them and I'm not worried about it. That doesn't make you wrong until the game happens. Yeah. And so, no, that, as far as I'm concerned, no, that doesn't bother me. The only thing I'll say is our guys will talk with the pads and your guys will talk with the pads. <laughs> Somebody's going to be right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, a, when, you, when you break it down the way that you are, the Big Ten, I mean, the, the talk is usually that the SEC is the best football conference in the country, and it's kind of hard to argue that. But when you break it down the way that you are with the coaching, you know, the jury maybe is still out on Ryan Day. He's not Urban Meyer yet, but he has the, the Buckeyes rolling. Michigan hasn't won in Wisconsin since 2001. So, I mean, that that's not a good look for Michigan going into Madison this weekend. It's tough to put into perspective what Urban Meyer was able to do in those few years that he was in Ohio State. That is impressive because – to go through those coaches year in and year out, that, that's a tough ask. It's a tall order. And, and, and I think sometimes that is forgotten in the pantheon of college football as we look and we go, 
well, this guy over here, they just got better players. Well, that, and a lot of times that's true. But that's why they have to play the games. And sometimes kids, right, we're talking 18 to 22-year-old kids, sometimes they will have superhuman games. And then on other times they'll break up with their girlfriend on Thursday and all of a sudden the quarterback comes out there because his girlfriend's not with him anymore and throws five interceptions. It is what it is. That's a fact of life. Never predict kids. You know, you brought up Urban Meyer there, Matt. And Reggie, what what do you think's ultimately going to happen with him? I mean, he's at Fox now on the on the pregame show and halftimes. Do you think it's a one year hiatus? And you, you think there's truth to the rumors? You might see him go to Southern Cal or elsewhere. I think we'll see Urban Meyer back on the sideline. Where I'm not sure. SC, I guess, could be a possibility. I think it's it's just unfortunate. I look at what continues to happen with Clay Helton, and I just feel bad. I mean, the guy. Since he took over, I don't think he's gone a full season with the starting quarterback that he picked at the beginning of the year. I don't think that guy has finished a season since Clay Helton took over at USC. That's unheard of. And it happens again this year. They finally have an experienced starter that they want to go with. He gets hurt. Now they have to go to a true freshman that got on campus in January. I know people in SC have high expectations, but you're not going to just keep plugging in these true freshmen and think, that everybody is Trevor Lawrence. Everybody can't recruit Trevor Lawrence. Some t- some guys are just unicorns. And, oh, by the way, for everybody that loves Trevor Lawrence, let me put this out there, and I said it was going to happen. Last year, everybody said, oh, he's great, and he's only going to get better. And I told everybody, he will throw more than four interceptions. He already has five, three games in. <laughs> I told everybody, calm down. Now there's film on him. People will figure out how to confuse him. That's just football. Yeah, and they have. I mean, he obviously still is looking very good. But the five interceptions, that is a little bit of a head-scratcher. But we, you, we brought up and we talked a little bit about Southern Cal. And speaking of the state of California, I know that you saw the, the recent bill and all the stuff that's been being talked about in California with them potentially being able to start paying college athletes. As a former college athlete at Penn State that we've talked about, I know that you have some thoughts on it, and I know that you saw what Tim Tebow said on, on first take a few days ago where he came out passionately against that, that it was a bad idea to start even dipping into paying college athletes. I guess uh, just what, what, is your th- what are your thoughts on that? Would it be a good idea for the NCAA to look into it? I struggle with this because I, think, I do think, um, especially now with the money and the dollars being so public, what each school is getting off of a home game and what coaches are making, you're going to have to do something for the players. I get that. I think there needs to be some sort of compensation. I think the devil's always in the details. I don't like just handing kids cash. I just think it's dangerous. I don't care what anybody says. I've watched guys get Pell Grant checks or whatever you want to call it, refund checks, all of that, and, and play in the first game of the season, right? It's their first time they're going to play because they're, 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 they came off their red shirt and they're blowing somebody out by 70 points. Kid gets in the game, scores a touchdown, goes to the bar that night, and blows his entire refund check. And now he's broke the rest of the semester. Was that smart? Probably not. Um, But do I think there's a way to take care of players? Yes, I do. Do I think there's a way to incentivize something out of them? Absolutely. This idea that guys can go and, and get their own jersey sale money or go do autograph sessions, that sounds good until a kid gets offered Ten grand to do autographs when he should be at practice. Now, when you're the head coach, what is your what do you do? You don't have a recourse of action because he's allowed to do that. So I think there are some things that they should do to allow them to earn, but I think there needs to be, and it's this needs to be an agreement with someone to represent these kids, right? 
as well as the NCAA to come together on this and come up with a good solution that takes care of everybody. Because if you just open this thing up, I think you're setting up a lot of other issues. As far as Tim Tebow's comments, Tebow's looking at it from a lens that only he has, and I think we can't do that. You know, I heard what he said, his impassionate speech about the we versus the me. Tim, that sounds great. The reality is every kid that goes to college, especially major college football players, their plan is to get to the NFL anyway. So his we versus me, that whole con- that's, that doesn't even fit in this conversation because the reality is everybody. Okay, I won't say everybody. 99% of people are looking out for who? Numero uno. And so the reality is something's going to have to happen. But the one thing I remind people with all of this is, while people want to say the NCAA is exploiting, I guess you can use that term. But the truth of the matter is, the reason a kid cannot go to the NBA out of high school, the reason a kid cannot go to the NFL out of high school, it's not the NCAA. It's the NFL and the NBA. Those are those leagues' rules. The NCAA is not forcing anyone to come to college. It is a place they can go to get the exposure to get to the pros. So if a kid decides he doesn't want to be, quote, exploited by the NCAA, go do whatever you want. But I'm going to ask a kid right now, the number one high school football recruit in the country, before he plays a college game, what would somebody pay him for his autograph? And then ask, and then do the math on what, after three years, somebody would pay him for his autograph. That number is very different. So it's also a codependent relationship. Yes, does the NCAA need the players? Absolutely. But do the players need the NCAA right now? Yeah, they do. Because otherwise, what are they getting and where are they going? Wow, great stuff, Reggie. I'll tell you, you're definitely one of our favorite guests, and you bring it every time you come on. I have a, I have a kind of a segue there. We're talking about paying the athletes, paying the players, and that's one of a, that's a problem that is in NCAA football. If you were the czar, is there anything other than that that you would get involved in and try to change what you see in college football? Like I look at it, is it a good thing or a bad thing that? For the college football playoff, it looks like there's four or five teams and then everybody else is fighting for bowl games they don't even want to go to. I would put requirements on how you have to get on the selection board for the playoff. That's the first thing I would do. And what I mean by that is whether it's conference champion, you have to have ten wins over power five schools, whatever the math is, I'm sitting down and I'm coming up with something that's going to force stronger scheduling, high levels of competition, quality games every week, and a true opportunity to win a championship because you earned it, not because you won the recruiting battle and you survived one game on your schedule. And so the way I would do it is I would put some things in place to create, right, like the NCAA tournament, right? The NCAA tournament, if you win your conference tournament, you're in. Now I don't necessarily think that is the perfect solution, but it'll be one of those things. If you win your division – in college football, you can be considered. If you don't, you're not considered because you're no kind of, you're not a champion. You haven't earned something that puts you on this board. It doesn't have to be just that. Maybe it's you have to be a division winner or conference champion plus 10 wins plus, you know, eight wins over power five competition or you need at least three wins versus ranked something to create a benchmark because This is what people forget. And while we have the experts on television talking about it all the time, this team's better than that team, blah, blah, blah. Everybody forgets this. As an athlete, from day one, you are taught to go get a goal. You are taught to 
win a division, win your conference, win your, you know, then you get to the Super Bowl if you're talking about the NFL. There's always steps. And so right now, what the way the college football playoff is set up is, you can take all these steps, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't create an opening for sure for you to win a championship. And people can say what they want about UCF, a prime example. All you can do is play the games that are on your schedule and win them all. So they can win them all. Everybody else can lose two or three, but because of who they play, there's something different. And the, the biggest way to fix that, this would be the first thing I put in, to be honest. Whoever you play, whoever you play, particularly in non-conference, it is a two-year contract home and home. No neutral sites. No, we'll pay you $2 million to come here, and then we'll never play you again, and we can buy it. No. It's a two-year home-and-home contract for everybody. So now, Bama, if you want to schedule Idaho, guess what you get to do the following year? You get to go up there to the Moscow Dome and try to figure out how to play in that little band box and beat them in their own place. I, I like that. Schedule yeah. again. I would like to see that because, you know, we, we talk about it at work sometimes or, you know, whatever, and other discussions that a lot of these, it would be cool to see some of these teams from the south go up north, especially if they could go up in, you know, November or something like that. It was cool to see Georgia go up and play in South Bend uh, last year, you know, or, or a couple years ago when they did that. It was cool. It would be nice to see Alabama, LSU. I, I guess a few years ago LSU went up to Wisconsin and played, but I definitely like that. I've never thought about that, the home and home. But, well, if it, because if it's home and home, they're only going to schedule somewhere that they, would, they wouldn't be punished if they went into that stadium and lost. So Alabama's not going to schedule Idaho. They're right. going to schedule yep. Wisconsin. Or they're going to schedule 3-0 Minnesota. As you know, we're a big-time Michigan podcast here. So I know I personally was very happy to see Michigan State go down uh, this weekend. <laughs> but I have a question for you. Who had the worst coaching decision? Maybe you like Pat Narduzzi's decision to kick a field goal on fourth and one, uh, down seven against Penn State with five minutes left. But who do you think had the worst coaching decision? Mark D'Antonio's clock management at the end of the game against Arizona State or Pat Narduzzi kicking that field goal with five minutes left? Uh, I'm going to do you one better. And I'm going to go North Carolina with the way they just mishandled the end of the football game against Wake Forest. Um, If you're going to make me give you an answer. Now, if you want me to go between those two that you just named, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Mark D'Antonio's clock management down the stretch. That was horrific. I understand what Narduzzi was trying to do. He was basically saying, I'm not going to play to tie this game at 17. I'm going to play to win this game either 21-17 or, 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 or something along those lines. Now, that being said, he could have went for the touchdown and then just gone for two. So there was an mm-hmm. option there. Um, but I understand what he was trying to do. He says he was trying to win the game. I believe that, and I can see that by the decision-making. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we're all into college football, and Reggie, we can tell you know your stuff. I know you've been doing a little uh, college announcing, haven't you? Yeah, uh, I've got uh, – I do FBS at – in Conference USA with Charlotte 49ers on uh, ESPN3, and then I do some radio at the FCS level with the uh, Gardner-Webb running Bulldogs. Um, I'm a part of their radio network as well. So I'm in a couple of places. Outstanding. We can find you there. And, again, tell our listeners where to find you on Twitter. Uh, find me on Twitter at rwalk13, rwalk one three is the best way to find me. All right, Reggie. Hey, we appreciate you joining us. We look forward to talking with you a little later in the college football season. Thanks again, my friend. Anytime, guys. Let me know whenever you need me. Special edition of Tattertainment tonight. I'm actually going to head it tonight, and that's because I had just watched it, Chapter 2. And it was okay. It was worth the watch. Uh, Bill Hader stole the show, obviously. 
but it wasn't nearly as good as the first one. But it got me thinking. Who are like the scary characters that scared you when you were a kid? Because Pennywise is up there for me. Not the 1990 Tim Curry one, but the Bill Skarsgård one, uh, because he's awesome as that actor. And he just and I couldn't sleep as a 20 year old college student. After I watched that movie, I could not sleep the other night. It was up until about 4 a.m. So I'm just curious if Ted is somebody who probably watched like The Thing or something like that. Was there a kid? I'm uh, what 1950s movies you were watching, but what characters scared you guys when you were younger? Well, yeah, I'll jump in. I didn't. I'm not prepared, but it's going to be ad-libbing. But when I was a little kid, every Friday night they used to have uh, what was called creature features, and it'd be it'd be horror movies, you know, made in the 40s and 50s. And I know Frankenstein scared the heck out of me when I was little, but as I grew up and became older, and I've talked about this many, many times, the the scariest movie I've ever seen. One I've had nightmares on is by far The Exorcist. That one just completely freaked me out. Maybe it's partly because of my Catholic background, being possessed by Satan, you know. I mean, how, how scary is that? But just seeing, you know, Reagan with her head spinning around on the bed and bouncing up and down and the priest is there trying to get rid of the demons, that was one that scared the living hell out of me. Yeah, no, that's a legendary one. Even Even now, like, it's it's still a pretty creepy movie to watch the original Exorcist. I guess for me, like yeah, off the top of my head, um, I remember seeing the the original It. I was pretty young. That kind of scared me a little bit. But the ones that really stick out, the Scream movies, you know that mm-hmm. that mask that's really famous. Those, those movies, those were huge when I was like middle school, high school. Those movies were huge. Uh, the Halloween movies were still big when I was growing up. So Mike Myers. Yeah, those are probably the big ones to me. Huh? Maybe, and then and then the Saw movies. The Saw movies were really high school into college or when the Saw movies really started coming out and getting big. And those are pretty cool. Yeah, I never saw Saw. How about that? And uh, It's probably a little too gory for you. <laughs> but I was going to say, I'll throw a couple other quickies in there. Uh, Friday the 13th, the original one. That was pretty good. That had a neat twist at the end of it. Yep. And then, I mean, you got to be a little creeped out by Freddy Krueger, don't you? Oh yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, so. the whole the whole concept of you better not fall asleep. That was pretty good. Yeah, those were those are pretty. Those, I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, you're bringing it up, Jared. Do you guys like horror movies? I like horror movies. I do. Uh, the the original Halloween, and it might be it might be surprising you guys. I love that movie. I've seen it probably thirty times. I don't know what it is about that movie, but I just love it. I could watch it in the middle of December. I don't care. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, but The Exorcism, I actually watched that a couple years ago for the first time, and I'm still kind of creeped out about it because that night I woke up and I looked in the corner of my room, <laughs> and I swear to God to this day there was somebody standing there <laughs> to the point where I literally got up, sprinted to my light, and flipped it on and like did like a 180 in my room. <laughs> I didn't sleep for about a week after that, I, and that was me as a senior in high school. It just I it scared the living daylights out of me. The heart was pounding. The heart was pounding. I didn't go back to sleep that night. And it's just one of those things. I, that is just a scary movie. Leatherface. Uh, there was like a, when Texas Chainsaw Massacre got like remade in like 2004. I watched that when I was like six years old. Another one of those scenarios where I didn't sleep for about a week. Uh, he scares the living daylights out of me still. But those are some of the, yeah. some of the big ones for me. That was that was one I was going to bring up. That, that remake you're talking about of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that was when I was in college. So it's just kind of funny to say you you were six or whatever when you watched it, but yeah, that movie was that was a creepy movie. I mean, to think that that was a true story, or at least based on a true story. Ed Gain or Ed Gain, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a creepy movie. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't made one about uh, 
John Wayne Gacy, you know, that would be kind of well, creepy. Isn't that pretty much, that's pretty much what Pennywise is based off of, a lot of people say. Oh, He was like the clown killer. Yep, you're right. The, the thing with love that, that Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that really scared me, and I hate it when movies do this, and a lot of scary movies do it, where the ending, just when you think it's going to be a happy ending, like the last scene, they swap it on you, and he's like still alive, and he's still free. <laughs> the way they shot oh. that, they shot it like it was a documentary, and they had the cop like showing like scratch marks on the wall, like here's where he took his victim, and then his head gets like chopped off. And that, I hated that. That was when I knew I was going to have nightmares. So, where, Jared, as, as far as the three-point pod rating system, where do you where do you rank it to? It to, it's about a two. About a two. I would say it chapter one is about a 2.5. It, it's just a lot of things about it. It just wasn't nearly as good as the first, wasn't as scary as the first. Um, and just there's something about those kids, watching kids get scared, that makes you, like, more scared. Whereas, like, watching them as adults, it's just not as scary. I have one more I want to throw in there. I don't know if either one of you ever saw it. You probably saw the remake, Dawn of the Dead. But did either one of you see the original black and white, Night of the Living Dead? (laughs) I feel like I watched that when I was, like, five years old. And as a five-year-old, I was like, this isn't even scary. Oh, come on. Really? (laughs) It was like a zombie marathon. I think I sat there and watched it. Uh, Reinvestigate it down the road. I I recommend that one. I do have one other one since you brought up Ted Entertainment tonight, and I didn't really come prepared, but I kind of set the stage last week when we were talking about 9-11, and uh, that that documentary on 9-11, what happened on Air Force One, I watched it. It was phenomenal. I I watched it, too. What'd you think? Same. It was really interesting. Kind of like what Jared was saying, I think all three of us said that that whole – topic i guess uh, mm-hmm. 9-11 is very interesting to to learn some of the behind the scenes stuff and to see all all that go down or what they showed us anyway on air force one it was really interesting yeah i thought so too i mean just the whole backstory where they were they were having like no communications and that should never happen it kind of kind of made me a little worried about our government you know what i'm saying oh that, that was like my first reaction i mean they came blatantly out the secret service guys that they interviewed and said it that they weren't prepared and yeah, it kind of how I mean, how do you prepare for something like that? You know, I guess maybe you don't expect that, but well, how do you not get kinda, kinda how do you the not, same reaction? Yeah, how do you not get fighter jets up there right next to to Air Force One before an hour and a half goes by? Yeah, you would think they would have a couple on standby like right away or something, but but it was a fascinating look at what went on. George W. Bush, I mean, he gave his thoughts, and you know, we we heard from all the players that were involved. It was really, really good. If you didn't see it yet, Jared, check it out because I know you like those nine eleven things. Yeah, I mean, not, something I do need to correct from last podcast. It was like an excerpt that was on Twitter where I said that I was not alive when nine eleven happened. That no. was not true. I know. Big on my part. So <laughs> <laughs> no one corrected me. No one wanted to. So just a hand up on that one. That's a mistake. I was very much alive, but I do not remember it. I was only two. All right. Well, listen, guys, We've uh, I think we've put enough to rest for this podcast. You know, uh, a couple for us this week. We put together a fun Hall of Fame, Corona Cavalier Hall of Fame podcast that's going to be airing on Z92.5 and will be unedited on our pod site. But uh, this one, a lot of fun. Great talking with Reggie. you got to admit, you guys, he knows his stuff and really brings it when he joins us. Yeah, we could throw anything at him, and he's going to give us all the good. All right. Well, let's call it a pod. That'll do it for now. Subscribe, rate us on all the big podcasting sites, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all the others. Follow and comment to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at 3 Point Pod. And make sure... 
You support our three-point podcast partners, which include Main Street Pizza, Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Tap House and Grill, The Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, and Promac Engineering. And definitely check out our friends at Sports Radio Detroit and Z92.5 The Castle. This has been a three-point podcast production in conjunction with Sportsnet Michigan and WJSZ Radio. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Three Point Podcasts.